I know that you all know this, but we are living in a very difficult time uh, in the history of our nation, aren't we? we? There are deep divisions in American life right now. We can all admit that, and we all feel it. And some of the divisions, I think, are understandable. I mean, there are big issues at play in our country right now. There are big issues at stake, and our disagreements are vast. Um, the injustices that people are bringing up are real. But Americans, I believe, are becoming more and more suspicious of each other. We're becoming more and more afraid of one another. We're dividing ourselves into us versus them factions. And honestly, sometimes it feels like we're preparing for some kind of showdown, doesn't it? Like the battle lines are being drawn, sides are being chosen, and it's like one day something big is going to come, it feels like. And what we end up doing is we show partiality to people who we feel like are on our side, and then we show contempt for the people who are on the other side. And these differences are being felt, I believe, more and more in the church as well. You see these differences not spilling over from outside in our society into the way we talk about and the way we talk to one another in the church. And that really grieves me. And we read all throughout the New Testament that the gospel breaks down walls of hostility. So why does it feel like there are so many walls between us right now? How are we to understand and practice our faith alongside people who are very different from us? And how are we to practice our faith alongside people who often hold differing interpretations on matters that are of deep importance to us? And how can a church like ours, or how really can any church, transcend the partisanship or transcend the fear and the suspicion? And how can we find common ground and worship together as the people of God? And the thing is, is we feel like this is some new question that we're facing for the first time in history. But the truth is, we're not the first Christians who've dealt with this struggle. In fact, this was the question that the early church faced. You see, we're looking at Acts chapter 10 this morning as we continue to study the life of the apostle Simon Peter. And in this passage, we see how God is committed. God is committed to breaking down walls of hostility and suspicion and fear. And he is committed to building his church to consist of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. See, this is the story this morning of Peter and Cornelius. It's the story of Peter, an uneducated, poor, Jewish fisherman. And Cornelius, an educated, wealthy, high-ranking Roman soldier. And it's a story about the power of Jesus to bring these two men together into one family of faith. But in order for this to happen, God will have to challenge Peter's point of view on culture, and on other people. Because Peter, at this moment in time, his point of view was incompatible with the mission and the love of God. And so our story begins in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. And he gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. So what do we know about Cornelius? What we first find out about Cornelius is that he lives in Caesarea. And Caesarea is a very prosperous, modern Roman port city built by King Herod. 
And this is a place where high-ranking military officials and government leaders lived. And Cornelius, we also know that he's a centurion in the Italian cohort, which means he was a Roman soldier. He was a Roman officer. But we also find out this really interesting piece of information about him. It says that he feared God, and he was very generous to the poor, and he had a deep prayer life. We find that out. And now what Cornelius is known at that time, he's known as what was known at that time as a God-fearer. And what that means, God-fearers, it means that he was intrigued and attracted to the God of the Jews. That's what that means. It means that he didn't worship, he was Roman, but he didn't worship Roman gods. He worshiped God. He worshiped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he wasn't a Jew. He was a Roman. He was a Gentile. And that means that he, and he he didn't want to convert to Judaism. He didn't want to be circumcised. He didn't want to eat Jewish food. He, He preferred to maintain his culture, but he also was attracted to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so one day, Cornelius is praying, and an angel visits him, and he says to Cornelius, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. Send your men to this city called Joppa to find a man named Simon Peter, and he's going to tell you how you can know God. Well, the very next day, we actually, the story switches over to Peter. And the, the story switches, and Peter is in Joppa, and he's up on his rooftop of his house, and he's praying. And it says that, the Bible says that while he was praying, he got really hungry. And you know, I love that that's in the Bible because I love to know that I'm not the only one who gets distracted when I'm praying, you know? Like Peter was praying and he was like, I'm hungry, and it distracted him. He's been there, I've been there, we've all been there. But Peter, while he was hungry, it says he fell into a trance. And then God, in this trance, God gave him a vision. And this vision was a blanket or a sheet or really like a cloth basket full of all different kinds of animals. And God speaks to Peter and says, Peter, I know that you're hungry, so wake up, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture at this time, you know, or if you've read really any parts of the Old Testament, you know that Jews were very, very strict about what they ate. And particularly, they didn't eat things like pork because it was unclean. It was considered unclean and forbidden. And this seems like a trivial thing to us. Like what we eat, what does it matter? But this was central to Jewish culture. And this was central to Peter's understanding of what was clean and what was unclean before God. And it was central to his understanding of himself as a Jewish man. And so this was a deep conviction for Peter. We don't eat what is unclean. And I mean, God even commanded this to them. But now God is saying to Peter, go ahead, Peter. Eat up, man. Eat it. And Peter says back, no way, Lord. I'm not going to do it. I will not eat anything that is unclean or common. And God speaks back to Peter and says, Peter, what I've made clean, you do not call unclean. And Peter hears this, and he's really confused. Because God is challenging everything Peter thought he knew about what was acceptable and what was unacceptable. And not only that, God is challenging a core aspect of Peter's belief, his practice, and even his culture. And it's a bit disorienting for Peter. Peter has trouble with this, and he's not sure what to make of it all. And at that time, Cornelius' men arrive in Joppa. The Spirit says to Peter, Peter, downstairs, there's three men waiting for you. Go find these guys and find out what they want. 
And so Peter finds these guys. They explain to him, hey, Cornelius wants to see you. God gave Cornelius a vision. He wants to speak with you. And so Peter says, okay, well, if God said that, then I'm going with you. Peter heads to Caesarea with these guys, 30-mile journey. And I, I want to stop here, and I want you to think about this. God has just challenged Peter's understanding of his culture. And now he's asking Peter to go to Caesarea, a place where Roman authorities, soldiers lived. And God is asking him to preach the gospel and welcome into the church a man that is a Roman soldier, a Roman police officer. I mean, think the Jewish people have been oppressed by the Roman military. And God is now asking him to welcome a Roman soldier into the family of God. Cornelius couldn't have been more different from Peter. Peter was poor. Cornelius was wealthy. Peter was educated. Cornelius was highly ed- uh, Peter was uneducated. Cornelius was highly educated. Peter was from a rural area. He was from Galilee. Cornelius was from the city. And if Peter had a vote, he definitely would not have voted for King Herod. And Cornelius worked for King Herod. These men are completely different. They have different politics. They are from different social classes. They listen to different music, wear different clothes, and eat different foods. But they were both drawn to the God of the Bible. And so the question that hits us is, well, how are these men going to worship together? And think for a moment about what Peter is experiencing. At this time, he's the leader of Christianity. And Christianity at this time in history is still a branch of Judaism. Christianity looked Jewish, they talked Jewish, their worship services had a Jewish flavor to them. And Peter, Peter liked his church, you know. Peter liked his church. The people looked like him, they liked the same things that he liked, and they worshiped the way he liked. They sang the same songs that he liked. And even though Jesus had commanded Peter and the apostles to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, Peter probably had reservations about that, don't you think? Because if the early, why would Peter have reservations about it? And the answer is because if the early Jewish Christians were to reach different kinds of people, that would mean that the Jewish Christians, their preferences might be lost in the way that they worship. And I'm sure that Peter didn't love the idea of becoming a minority in his own church. But yet, if we're all honest with ourselves, don't we all have our own preferences? And we all have our own ways of interpreting the world around us that seem good and right to us. We struggle when people do things that are different from us, and we all get really nervous when things around us start to change, especially in the church. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we just wish that new converts or young people or people from other cultures would just fall in line and sing our songs and do ministry our way and share our politics. Because change and differences are not always enjoyable or easy, are they? It's hard to be in a a diverse group of people. But God has challenged Peter and put him in a position to welcome someone into the church who is so vastly different from him. And this is uncomfortable for Peter. And Peter, essentially, he arrives in Caesarea, and he says, he walks into Cornelius' house, and he says, okay, so why am I here? And Cornelius says, well, Peter, an angel told me that you can tell me about your God. And I've got my whole family here, and we want to know what you have to say about God. And when Peter hears this, the Bible essentially says that his spiritual eyes were opened, and he begins to see Cornelius, not with his own eyes, but with the eyes of God. 
And Peter says this, Truly now I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And I want you to see this. Now Peter explains the gospel to these these Roman, these Gentile men. Verse 36 says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, because, you know, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was telling them that Jesus is the Messiah, it says that the Holy Spirit of God falls on these Romans. And they believe in Jesus, they worship Jesus, and they are immediately baptized. And then Peter welcomes them into the family of God. And you know, this marks a turning point in the New Testament. Because from this point on, the gospel begins to explode all over the world. And this small little Jewish Christ is the Messiah movement becomes global. And it expands beyond Jewish boundaries. And people begin worshiping Jesus in every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. This, and it wasn't an accident. You know, that like this wasn't an accident that the gospel would expand to the ends of the earth. This was God's vision from the very beginning. To see a diverse group of people united together, not by politics, not by cultural preferences, not by skin color, but by Jesus himself. This is the heart of God. This is the purpose of God, to draw all people to himself. So that's the story. That's our text this morning. There are three observations I want you to see today from this text. The first is that diversity did not come natural to the early church. You see, one of the last things Jesus ever said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven was go and make disciples of all nations in Jerusalem, but also in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, listen, I know that diversity is a very popular ideal in our nation right now. But what I want you to see is that kingdom-minded diversity is not some new thing that we're dealing with in American history. This is on page one in the history of the church. It's literally the first instructions that Jesus gave his apostles for how to build the church. God's desire from day one was to see people from every corner of the world and every cultural background know and love him. But here's a little Bible lesson for us. In the first 10 chapters of Acts, we see Christians doing a great job 
of making disciples in Jerusalem, but nowhere else. They struggled to leave Jerusalem. And in reality, I think many of the Christians in the first 10 chapters of Acts actually disobeyed Jesus' command to go into all the world. Why? Because things were easy in Jerusalem. Things were nice there. They were comfortable. They understood each other. So no one wanted to leave. And they didn't. They didn't leave because Jesus commanded them. You know why people, why the Christians left Jerusalem? Because of persecution. In Acts chapter 8, when Stephen was stoned, Christians then had to scatter throughout the ends of the earth. They didn't leave Jerusalem out of love for the nations. They left Jerusalem out of fear for their lives. And even Peter, he stuck with his own people. You realize that it took a supernatural vision from God to Peter and to Cornelius for the gospel to make its way from Jews to Gentiles. See, it wasn't happening naturally, so God intervened and supernaturally brought the Jews and Gentiles together. He orchestrated all of this so that Peter could preach the gospel to Cornelius and Cornelius could receive it. And here's my point. My point is this. God's desire is to draw all people to himself. And he has commanded us, the church, to fulfill that mission with him. But that will not happen without intentionality. If you just relax, and if you just default to your normal way of living, and your natural comforts, you will naturally drift toward people who are like you. And you will not naturally drift toward people who are different from you. You will congregate and act with people who look like you, think like you, and act like you. But we have been commanded by Jesus himself to make disciples of all nations, which means that he has commanded us to leave the comforts of our, uh, our comforts of being around our people and taking our lives and the message of Jesus to people who are different from us. This means that we must be diligent and aware that our natural tendency is not toward diversity, but rather toward homogeneity. And we have to fight against our natural instincts here. And people will say, well, you know, it's human for us to want to be with people like us. Of course it is, but that doesn't mean it's godly. We need to take stock of our own hearts and our fears and our prejudices, and we need to move toward people who are different from us. Welcome them. Embrace them. Seek to understand them in Jesus' name. It's going to be uncomfortable. Your views and your culture will be challenged at times, but the end result is that you will experience the kingdom of God. Second thing, observation I want you to see is that prayer paved the way for diversity in the early church. See, in today's scripture, God spoke to Peter when he was on his rooftop praying. Peter was praying when God gave him a vision for Gentile inclusion into the family of God. Look, we've just been studying Peter's life, the life of the Apostle Peter all summer. And you all know as well as I do that Peter has a history of being stubborn, doesn't he? Peter can be stubborn. Peter has a history of being hard-headed. Peter wasn't perfect. Peter clearly had some prejudices in his life that were sinful. But here's what you need to know about Peter. Peter had a prayer life. And he had practices and he had habits and times in his life where he opened himself up for God to speak to him. Listen, 
I'll just be honest with you guys. In my own personal thought life, I have opinions that I hold, things that I want, preferences that I prefer, and comforts that I feel entitled to that are not of Jesus and that stoke feelings of partiality in my heart and they are contrary to the way of Jesus. And so do you. <laughs> we all do. But if we want God to shape our hearts so that they are more like Jesus, that means that we need to, like Peter, have regular times of prayer and opening ourselves up to God's voice so that he can challenge us, change us, and transform our hearts. Let me ask you a question. What's the first thing you look at in the morning? What's the last thing you look at before you go to bed? And I already know the answer, okay? <laughs> Those things are shaping you. Do you realize that? That shapes who you are becoming. And if you give all of your spare time to your social media feeds and your favorite websites and your cable news networks and your television shows that simply confirm your suspicions and your fears and your preferences, look at me. You will be conformed into the image of those things rather than the image of Christ. God save us Christians when we spend more time with John Oliver and Tucker Carlson than we do with Jesus. We must carve out time and space to spend time with Jesus so that Jesus can shape our hearts and our minds and the way we look at others and the way we look at the world. Is there a time and a space in your life that you carve out specifically for talking to and listening to and being challenged by the voice of God. See, if you will make prayer and communion with God a regular practice in your life, and if you will have the courage and the humility to listen and to obey His voice, the Bible says that you will become more like Jesus. And it takes courage because God will challenge some of the convictions, opinions, and preferences you hold. And it takes humility because when God does that, he will call you to repentance and to change. But if you open yourself up to the wisdom of God, you will become more like his son, Jesus. And you will have greater compassion and kindness toward others. And that is when God can use you to be a part of building his church that consists of every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. The last observation I want you to see this morning is far and away the most important. And it is that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Peter said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. When Jesus hung on the cross for you, he wasn't thinking of your skin color. When Jesus hung on the cross for you, he wasn't thinking of your politics or your social status or your personality type or your worship preferences. He was thinking of your sin. And when you look at the cross, there, not be, there ought not be one ounce of arrogance or pride in your soul toward anyone. 
You are not more deserving of God's grace. In fact, you need it just as badly as anyone else. See, the cross says that we are all sinners and that we only deserve God's judgment. But Jesus, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had for us, he bore our sins and he died our death. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what positions you hold. The only way that you can be at, with, at peace with God is through the blood of Jesus. So church, when your friend on Facebook shares a political post that infuriates you, and it's going to happen as soon as you check your phone when you leave here today, I want you to know that you are no more and they are no less worthy of God's love. I'm not saying every political position is equally right. Some positions and policies are bad. But I am saying that the thing that makes you most frustrated and uncomfortable about the other side should not make them less welcome into this church and it does not make them less worthy of God's grace. And the same goes for racial differences, the same goes for socioeconomic differences, and the same goes for any difference that you can imagine. We all, all stand as sinners before God with no hope of making ourselves acceptable to Him. But Jesus stepped in for us, took our place, and covered our sins with His blood on the cross and gave us new life when He rose from the dead. And John 1.12 says, all, all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Let me pray for you this morning, church. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope of the gospel that extends to all of us. It does not make any of, none of us are more worthy and none of us are less worthy. But God, we all stand equal at your cross, deserving of your judgment and your wrath, but in your grace you give us nothing but love and mercy. You sent your son to die for us so that we could be welcomed into your family, a family that consists of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. God, please heal us in our nation from the partiality and the division we show. God, can you help Crossroads? Can you help the church? Be an example for what it means to love one another well and to show no partiality. God, you said that the world will know that we are your disciples by the way we love one another. So God, give us the strength to love one another. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.